Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers, where we provide you with up-to-date information on cancer care and research. Our host, Dr. Anise Chagpar, is Associate Professor of Surgical Oncology and Director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. She interviews some of the nation's leading oncologists and cancer specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. If you are interested in past editions of Yale Cancer Center Answers, all of the shows are posted on the Yale Cancer Center website at YaleCancerCenter.org. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can contact the doctors directly. The address is canceranswers at yale.edu. Here's Dr. Chagpar. Welcome to another episode of Yale Cancer Center Answers. I'm Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined today by my guest, Dr. Xavier Lohr. Dr. Lohr is an associate professor of medicine in digestive diseases and the medical director of the Colorectal Cancer Prevention Program. In addition, he's also the co-director of the Cancer Genetics and Prevention Program. He's here with us today to talk about the genetics of colon cancer. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. So, Dr. Lohr, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about who you are and, and how you fit into the bigger Yale family. Sure. So, uh, so I'm a gastroenterologist, and, um, and my interest is in colorectal cancer, and particularly colorectal cancer uh, genetics. And my interest actually started when I uh, started doing my uh, uh, basic uh, science research, which was on, on the molecular mechanisms of uh, colorectal cancer, and that really uh, drove me to uh, get interested in clinical cancer genetics. And as the field has exploded and we got much more information, and we can actually uh, do uh, things that make a difference with that knowledge. Uh, the, uh, this interest has been evolving towards more and more uh, uh, taking care of these uh, uh, individuals and families who have these conditions. So here at Yale, uh, um, we decided to uh, put together all the uh, different fields in the cancer, in clinical cancer genetics, uh, to really have a comprehensive approach and care for all these families, not only GI or colorectal cancer, but also the other ones that are common, such as breast, ovarian, um, or a urinary tract, for instance. So those are uh, the common ones that they have uh, uh, genetic defects that are responsible for a significant number of cases. So uh, that's why we just got it all under the same, um, same umbrella. So really to, to make them, uh, uh, this place a home for uh, these families with these particular issues. So let's talk a little bit for our listeners just as a level set. You know, a lot of people these days get a bit confused, I think, between the concept of cancer genetics and cancer genomics. So the idea of genetic mutations that you may be born with that predispose you or increase your risk of developing cancers versus unlocking the cancer genome and seeing which genes are turned on and turned off that may affect targeted therapies. So which one do you look after? And, and talk a little bit more about those differences. Sure. So yes, so um, uh, I think you put it uh, very nicely. So one of them is uh, the ones that we have mutations that we have in all the cells of our body, and those can be inherited. And those are the ones that uh, cause what we call cancer syndromes. Those are the ones that we take care of in, uh, in this uh, colon cancer, um, uh, sorry, uh, cancer genetics and prevention program. So uh, uh, the problem with those is that, again, we can pass this on, pass this mutated uh, predisposition to cancer to a uh, next generation and uh, with all the problems that, uh, that come along. Uh, the uh, 
other uh, side that you are mentioning is becoming uh, increasingly important, which is looking at all these genetic alterations that are happening in the tumor itself that are really being uh, extremely helpful in trying to figure out how we better, uh, more precisely uh, treat those cancers according to the particular types of mutations. So there are very, there are very different things that do have, uh, of course, a common theme because when you have some of these mutations that you carry in, uh, in all the cells in your body, they also determine how you will develop those cancers. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's two different uh, sets of information that we use that were extremely useful in both cases, but for different uh, reasons. Right. So, so really today, uh, we're going to talk about the first, which is mutations or mistakes in the DNA that you have, that you're born with, uh, that are in all of your cells that predispose you to developing cancer. And for, for many uh, patients, when they think about that concept, they think about um, breast cancer, and maybe that's my own personal bias, but they think about people like Angelina Jolie, um, but you do colorectal cancer, and and perhaps people aren't so aware of some of the genetic syndromes that predispose to colorectal cancers. Um, so talk a little bit about that and what people might be thinking about in terms of their family history, because as you said, these are often inherited um, that would make them think that maybe they may be carrying one of these mutations. Sure. So I think you, you really got the point here, which is uh, there's a, a very high level of awareness about breast and, and that percentage of cases that are due to a, mostly BRCA gene mutations, but there are some other genes too, but mostly those ones. And I think that uh, we've learned a lot about it and there's much better level of awareness and we are identifying them more often. Interestingly, with colon cancer, the percentage of cases that are due to uh, these type of mutations is very similar to breast cancer, mm. yet um, there's no there's no such a generalized belief that this is happening. So I think that the colon cancer lobby should do much better uh, because we have not done uh, s uh, such a good job as the uh, breast cancer lobby in really in 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 spreading the word and making p people understand that. So what are um, uh, the uh, signs uh, that can make you a little bit suspicious for a, uh, for a, a potential colon cancer hereditary syndrome? Number one, developing a colon cancer at a relatively young age, which same thing for breast, for instance. Uh, it's more common to develop uh, one of these cancers at a younger age, let's say younger than 55 or so, um, than if it is a sporadic case. Usually sporadic cases are uh, individuals, individuals are older. Uh, so that is one of the um, suspicious factors. Uh, another one is if there are several family members who have not only colon cancer, but some other cancers that could be in the realm of a syndrome. So just have, having several cancers in different family members, that, that could uh, raise a level of suspicion, particularly some of those individuals uh, are young at diagnosis, as we were saying, long, younger than 55 or so, there's no real clear cutoff. But those are all uh, uh, um, cases that we, they should make us think about it. And, and certainly any Anyone who does have uh, some of those uh, um, uh, issues that we talked about, they need at least to be uh, um, uh, evaluated and uh, and considered for a further analysis and testing if uh, if appropriate. But again, I think that um, um, we do have to do a much better job in, in raising awareness of these syndromes in colon cancer because the frequency, again, is pretty similar to, to breast, yet most people still ignore that fact. 
Yeah. So so the other question that people may be asking is, you know, so I've got a family history and let's suppose that there are, you know, multiple generations of multiple people with colon cancer and maybe maybe some pancreatic cancer or other cancers thrown in there and everybody's getting cancer younger than 50 and people may have a suspicion that maybe there's something going on in their family. But they may ask, why should I go and get genetic counseling or genetic testing? Um, what will that do aside from confirming to me that I'm already at high risk? So are there things, uh, whether it's increased surveillance or, or prevention measures that can be taken in people uh, who have colon cancer that would be available to them if they knew that they had a hereditary mutation? Exactly. I think that's a great point, which is uh, um, uh, what you do with information that you don't know what to do with. Mm -hmm. So uh, we fortunately have passed on that, uh, that uh, step, and we really have very... Uh, uh, effective measures to prevent cancer in uh, in these families and these individuals. So certainly knowing the information, it informs us to uh, do certain things that make a huge difference in terms of both uh, development of cancer and cancer-related mortality. So yes, knowing uh, in this case more than in any other cases, is knowledge is, uh, knowledge is uh, power because it makes a big difference in terms of really decreasing dramatically the, the risk of developing cancer or at least catching them early enough so they won't have a, a significant impact on uh, on uh, people's life. So th it does it does certainly make a big difference. Another issue, an important aspect that uh, young uh, uh, individuals ask us, uh, uh, which is the, uh, uh, the possibility of... Uh, of uh, embryonic testing, so uh, mm -hmm. pre-implantation. Therefore, if you have a, uh, if you want to uh, have a family, but you do have one of those mutations, and as you know, the majority of those cases, it's 50% chances of passing it along. If you could actually select the embryos that did not get that mutated gene, therefore you can eliminate the risk of passing it to the next generation. That's really that motivates a lot of people, and uh, and and it is really also a good reason to uh, test if someone really chooses to do so. Yeah, which brings me to another question that many people ask, which is, well, what's the cost? What's the cost of genetic counseling? What's the cost of genetic testing, especially now that we're not just testing often for a single mutation, but we might be doing what's called a, a panel. And maybe you can talk a little bit about what a panel is and when you use that. But what's the cost of that? And what's the cost if, if somebody was does want to test their embryos? Mm -hmm. um, because all of this, you know, especially in the current era, may or may not be covered by insurance. So can you talk to about that a bit? So I think the good news is that this is uh, right now totally mainstream in, ter in terms of healthcare. Uh, it's like any other type of, of uh, medical intervention, uh, in, and that's how it's viewed. Um, uh, of course, it's extremely difficult in our environment to figure out what insurance and what plan is covering what. There are co-pays and, and, and all sorts of things, but it's no different from, uh, from uh, any other uh, tests nowadays or the consultation costs are no different from any other ones that you may have. So they're really part of the mainstream, uh, mainstream medicine. In terms of the testing itself, the germ genetic testing itself, it's the same thing if, uh, 
if uh, the assessment done by the uh, people who specialize in this, uh, uh, if we feel that it's appropriate to uh, uh, test because uh, the risk is high enough, for the most part, they'll be covering it. If there's a discrepancy, there may be issues about that. Though there are ways to get around that nowadays because there are many labs who've started doing, uh, who've, uh, who've been doing more and more genetic testing. The costs have gone down dramatically and also the technology has allowed uh, that cost to go down dramatically. So nowadays we're facing that there are some labs that we can test a panel of genes and we'll talk in a minute about the, the panel of genes who are testing for $200 and $250. Mm-hmm. So many individuals actually may choose to to go that route because even if they have insurance, their, their copay may even be higher actually yeah. than, than paying out of pocket that amount. So I think the, the good news is that the barrier, the economic barrier of testing is, is totally like uh, has become almost negligible and that is the good news. Um, uh, so I think that um, no fears in terms of, of that. Uh, uh, in terms of the uh, testing for uh, embryos and all that, I can give you an answer. I think it does vary a lot. And I think the best thing is just to ask a little bit around and see uh, what what we're getting. And again, uh, the insurance companies may really have very different approaches as they have to almost everything. Yeah. So it's a little bit complicated to give a straight answer. Uh, so- so one question, just to, to circle back to, um, has to do with the counseling piece. And, you know, in the early days, and there's been a lot that's changed since the Supreme Court uh, decision um, back in, I guess it was, what, 2013, uh, where there was a big campaign um, against uh, Myriad Genetics, who uh, had patented uh, the BRCA genes, and and there were protesters, as many of our listeners remember, uh, on the Supreme Court uh, steps uh, to take back our genes, and 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 the Supreme Court uh, uh, rallied behind that. Um, so, but. But in that circumstance, uh, prior to that, there was a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing. And now it seems more and more insurance companies are really mandating the genetic counseling piece. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that particularly given the complexities of genetics and the complexities of panels and so on and so forth, understanding what a variant of uncertain significance is and so on, that genetic counseling piece is, is truly critical. Can you talk a little bit about about that piece and and what exactly that is and and why it's so important? Or maybe I'm wrong. It's not so important. But no, I think you're right. <laughs> I think you hit it right. It is. I think it is extremely important. Yes. Um, 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 labor- commercial laboratories have, uh, and some of them more than others have really pushed very hard for uh, any type of provider to order testing and all that. And the problem is that uh, they often are not equipped in terms of how to handle the information that's given uh, back to them. Um, In a way, it's like every other test. Uh, If you order any test in medicine, uh, you have to have a reason to order it. You can't just start ordering scans in the body all over the place just because just to see if you find something. So it's the same ki- uh, kind of thing. It has to be an informed decision. It's like, why are we looking for this? And what's the reason why we're looking for this? Um, and uh, here, it really, uh, that, that counseling process is, uh, is uh, uh, determined more now than ever before. 
because uh, of what you mentioned that right now we are testing more and more genes often in these panels that we have several genes and 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 the reason for for panel testing is truly because the technology is allowing us to to do that and and it's it's cheap even cheaper than than uh, targeted uh, uh, testing of a particular gene so there's no point but as you said also there's a lot of in many uh, occasions we get back and it's about 20 to 40% of cases will get back reports saying, well, uh, this particular gene has this variation that we really don't know how to handle because we don't know if it's causing disease or not. And that's a big challenge. And that's where the uh, a good informed professional can help here. And, and um, now with that inf- type of information, we really uh, uh, incorporate uh, the whole picture, the whole, the whole information of the family history and all that, and really determining where which way we are going because we are still lacking information in those variants. So that's, uh, that's the kind of exercise that it's very uh, difficult to almost impossible to be done at a primary care provider office or anything like that because it's become sophisticated and a little bit complex. So I think that uh, that counseling process, that uh, very well-informed process is, is essential uh, to avoid misunderstandings and to give the right information back to the patient so we can really do the, the, the right thing. Yeah. And, and the other nice piece about the having your genetic counseling and, and prevention done at, at a center of excellence is really that those are the professionals who are on top of the literature. So they know what tests to order, uh, when to order them. But when the information on what those the significance of those variations comes to be, that they then are the first to know that and so can pass that information along. Um, uh, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it, it, this is a very fluid situation where we keep getting new information and we have a lot already, but we keep learning constantly and, and, and new information often has a very uh, important impact on how we're handling uh, those patients and families. Therefore, yeah, I think mm, uh, doing these in centers of excellence does make a, a lot of sense. Yeah. So if a patient were to have, for example, a variant of uncertain significance today, uh, t- tomorrow, five years from now, 10 years from now, the significance of that variant may might come to be known. And so then they could call you back and you could say, well, guess what? Now we know the significance of this. Exactly. Uh, the, the information keeps evolving. And, uh, and the key for this information evolving is that many, many more families keep getting tested and we keep, we're able to put together that information. Plus, uh, lots of uh, uh, lab-based studies that are also being done to determine if, if the mutations that are being described or changes in the, in the genome that are described do, do really have a meaning, do, do really carry uh, the, uh, the risk of cancer that we, we suspect. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, at, at the top of this show, one of the things we said is that the, the colon cancer uh, advocates really need to get the word out about hereditary uh, colon cancer and, and the importance of genetic counseling uh, for colon cancers. And I, I hope that this uh, show has uh, done a little bit to raise some of that awareness. So if we have listeners who uh, hear this show and they think, geez, I've, I've got this family history, this is something that I want to learn more about, how do they contact you, uh, Xavier? Sure. So um, um, they can actually Google um, Smilo Cancer Genetics and Prevention Program, and uh, they would see the webpage with plenty of information and the way to contact us. But I can give you also the number, uh, which is 203-200-4DNA. 
Nice. <laughs> so that's a number that uh, anyone can call and uh, and uh, just give us that number one more time. Sure, it's two zero three two hundred four DNA. Perfect. Excellent. So the uh, so when when patients individuals call, we'll 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 start with a brief uh, uh, interview, um, and that would be like our way to triage the information initially. And if we believe that, that that's someone who, who really uh, uh, needs to be evaluated in, in our program, we'll uh, email them a uh, link uh, where they can click and they go to an online questionnaire. So uh, patients do fill up a, a questionnaire online and we get on our side a preliminary uh, family pedigree. And when patients come to the clinic, we review that pedigree, we complete it and we go over everything and then we end up uh, coming up with a final assessment. and. That's when we recommend we need to do testing or whatever we think that it needs to be done. Well, what a fantastic service to have here uh, at Yale Cancer Center. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Lore. This was such a wonderful d- discussion on the genetics of colon cancer and the work that you do. Uh, until next time, this is Dr. Anise Chagpar wishing you all a safe and healthy time. This has been another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers. We hope that you have learned something new and meaningful. If you have questions, go to YaleCancerCenter.org for more information about cancer and the resources available to you. We hope that you will join us again for another discussion on the progress being made here and around the world in the fight against cancer.